Amen. Our reading from God's Holy Word comes from the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 11. This is God's Word. In Him, that is Jesus Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. The grass withers, And the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. You may be seated. Our Father in heaven, we praise your name for the Lord's day. For this one day in seven that you have set apart for worship and for rest. For the opportunity to gather in your presence with your people and hear from your word. In this moment, we would ask for your Holy Spirit to come and to make plain to us this teaching from the Apostle Paul, from his wonderful letter of Ephesians. Would you teach us and instruct us about the inheritance, the inheritance that Christ has secured for us, the inheritance that Christ is for us. Lord, would you cause us to behold the wonder of this inheritance and in every way would you give us over to what this text intends to lead us to, and that is the worship of you, to the praise of your glory. Hear this prayer and answer it in Jesus' name, amen. In the first service, we had the the joy this morning of of having a baptism from little Kendall Kramer, which was wonderful. She's precious. Sorry you don't have the chance to see her here in the second service. Just marvelous. And two dear parents, Jeff and Stacy, and their family that occupied a section on this left-hand side uh, this morning, just coming to bask in God's kindness that he has given Uh, to them a child, and that the promises of salvation extend from one generation to another. Indeed, we saw grandparents and parents and child, three generations here this morning of, of Christ followers. That's a beautiful and wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing when you, you hold that, that baby girl and you're Walking through those promises and you, and you realize that she had nothing to do with the family that she was placed in. She, she didn't have a choice in the say of where she would land in terms of a family. God in his sovereign providence, in his will, placed her within the confines of a believing family that brought her this day to the waters of, of baptism. And, and it struck me. In, in holding her today, how, how clear that is of the teaching that's right here in this text of the fact that she has an inheritance and she doesn't even know it. 
She has a spiritual inheritance. She has a legacy that she, that she didn't choose. She didn't earn. It's not, a, it's not a wage. It's not like she did something before her birth that somehow earned her a spot in Jeff and Stacy Kramer's house. It was God by his kindness that placed her there. And she is an inheritor of, of incredible spiritual treasure. A family that will raise her in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. A family that loves the Bible will be opening up the word and instructing her in it. We'll be praying with and for her. We'll be bringing her to uh, church. And, and she'll be under the means of grace from her earliest of days. What an incredible inheritance. You know, Paul here in Ephesians chapter 1 has been if you've been with us since the beginning, you know he's been boiling over with praise. He started this sentence just to, just to remind you, those of you who've been with us, if you're new with us, to, to help you see this. He started this sentence back in verse 3 of Ephesians chapter 1. We're in verse 11 now. We're in looking at verses 11 through 14, but, but Paul has been, been overflowing, boiling over with praise and rejoicing, starting off this letter with the words, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. This, he's been praising the Lord from the very beginning of this letter. Paul couldn't get into the letter without beginning in, in praise. And here as we come to verses 11 through 14, we're, we're still praising him. He's just, it's just a long, you know, English English teachers would hate this. It's just a long list of run-on sentences and, and clauses with not adequate punctuation um, to, to really try to come across the overflow of his heart. That's Paul here in Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. And we're, we're coming to the very end of this, this overflow of praise that has been the mark of the Apostle Paul's beginning to the letter of Ephesians. And there's been so many blessings, isn't there, that we've looked at. We've, we've looked at the blessing of redemption last week together. We've, we've looked at the blessing of justification and, and of God, our standing with Christ. We've looked at the blessing of election that started out in verse 3 of, of, of Ephesians chapter 1. And, and now he wants to tell us about the blessing of the inheritance. Notice, notice how this section begins right there in verse 11. In him, that's Jesus, in him we have obtained an inheritance. And then, then notice in verse 14, very last of the verses, he's speaking about the promised Holy Spirit and he says, this spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. He's talking about the inheritance at the beginning. He's talking about the inheritance at the, at the end. This whole thing, he wants us to, to come clear on what this inheritance is. And I want, you to, I want you to see the way that he phrased those two things so you can sort of catch a little bit of the tension or dynamic in the passage. Notice verse 11 says, we have obtained. What does it mean to obtain? It means you have it. You've got it. Right now, you have an inheritance. And then notice in verse 14, the Holy Spirit is our guarantee. The, the language there is another financial term. Inheritance is a financial term that we tend to currency in. Guarantee is a financial term. It literally, if we could put it in, in our vernacular, the Holy Spirit is a down payment on the inheritance 
He is, he is already a deposit of that inheritance into your soul and heart right now until you acquire possession of it. Now notice that language, until you acquire possession. Wait, I thought we had obtained it, right? Verse 11, I thought we had obtained the inheritance. That sounded good. Now you're telling me until I acquire it, the Holy Spirit is the down payment. He's the guarantee. He's the, he's the earnest money on this inheritance that has been secured for you in Christ Jesus. I want you to see that at the very beginning because inheritance at the beginning, inheritance at the end, inheritance obtained, inheritance not quite possessed is actually where this, this text lives. It lives in the, those realities. And the truth is you can, you can actually wrap your head around this. Some of you, some of you have parents who are uh, still alive, and um, there you you have right now. You may not be thinking; it maybe feels kind of morbid to talk of it in this way. But but right now you have an inheritance that is that is that is yours, right? They 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 might have houses or or lands. They may have bank accounts. They they, they have possessions of some sort. It may be that all you're going to get is a love seat. I have no idea. I don't know your situation, but I'm just saying there's something that they probably have. And right now, in a way of speaking, you have obtained that it's yours in a way of speaking. Now, you've not acquired it. You've not acquired the possession of that inheritance. But in a way of speaking, it's already it's already yours. Now, in a very real sense, that's what Paul is saying here in, with regards to the inheritance that is yours in Jesus. What Jesus, who Jesus is and what Jesus has is yours now, even though you haven't fully gotten possession of it. Now, if you can kind of wrap your head around the dynamic of this text and why the Apostle Paul is making much of it, he wants you to see the glories of this inheritance. Because I think there's a couple of questions that arise as soon as we start talking about inheritance. Just in our minds, generally speaking, we want to know what is it? We want to know what is this inheritance? That's part of where our mind goes immediately. We're intrigued. Tell me about this inheritance that's coming my way. Secondly, you know what we want to know? We want to know how secure it is. We want to know how secure this inheritance is, right? Thirdly, we want to know who we have to share it with. We want to know who we have to share it with, right? Is this going to be divvied up among all my siblings and maybe even other people that I don't know, maybe not even like, I'm not sure. You know, who's, who am I going to share this with? And ultimately, when we see the inheritance that's ours in Christ, we ask the question, why, why do we receive the inheritance? Why, why am I a recipient of this inheritance that has been secured for me in Christ Jesus? That should be, I think, on our hearts as we go through. So we want to ask those questions of the text this morning. What is this inheritance. Now, if you have your Bibles, it'd actually be helpful to have them, them open or maybe even use your pew Bibles in the pew rack in, in front of you to open up to Ephesians chapter 1, only because I want to reference a couple of things. Remember, this is one long sentence, so I just want to remind you of the sentence and what Paul has said before, because in order to define the inheritance that's here, you need to know what comes before this. And, and right before this, in, in, in verse... 10, 
Paul tells us what is coming. There's a plan that has been set into place by Christ. Christ is the, is the, is the fulfillment of a, a first part of the plan, and then he sets into place the second part of this plan. Now, what is this plan that's going to happen? Verse 10 as a plan for the fullness of time, here's what Christ is going to do. He's going to unite all things in Him. Things in heaven and things on, on earth. In Christ, all things are going to be united to Him. Now we're going to have a similar kind of statement in, in our text. If you'll, look at, if you'll look at verse 13... In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Right? So this, this all things is, that are being united in Christ comes when we trust in the word of truth, the salvation that is ours, which is the down payment that is given to us in the Holy Spirit. We're, getting that, we're beginning to see the portals through which this inheritance is, is accessed. This inheritance of Christ having all things united in Him is the inheritance that actually we have access to. That for from Christ and through Christ and to Christ are all things, Romans 11. All things are united in Christ. And if you are in Christ, in Him, you've attained an inheritance. If you're in Him, then what does that mean you have? All things in Christ. You know, C.S. Lewis said years ago, He who has Christ and the whole world has no more than he who has Christ alone. How can he say that? Well, because to have Christ is to have all things. He is Lord of Lord. He is King of Kings. He is, he is the one who sustains all things by the word of his power. He's the origin from which all things flow. He's the ultimate aim of which all things are made and where the end of history is headed. He is going to recreate the new heavens and the new earth. And he's going to welcome you, his sons and daughters, into that new heavens and the new earth. And the whole of it will be at your disposal. This is your inheritance. Peter tells us that this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. It's guarded by faith until that day in which it's acquired fully by you. That's coming. It's an amazing promise. So the inheritance that is yours, think of it, is Christ himself. You're standing in Christ. You are justified, made righteous in the sight of God. You're adopted as a son and a daughter of, of the Father. You are being sanctified and the grace and the power for that change comes through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You will one day be glorified, made perfect in every sense of the word and the fullness of the righteousness you are now will be true of you and the whole of the world will be the rest that Christ will welcome you into. You, you receive that. You know why? Because you're in Christ. And who is Christ? He's the Son of the Father. He is the rightful heir 
of all that the Father has. And you're in the rightful heir. You're adopted son or daughter, so you have access in Christ to all that the Father has. That's the logic of the text. That's the inheritance that is yours. So this is why right now when you think to yourself, I don't have what I need. However it is you may be thinking about that in your workplace, in your, in your family, in your personal life. I don't have what I, I need. This completely reframes that poverty viewpoint that many of us dwell in day in and day out. Living like we don't have a father. Living like we're orphans rather than sons. Living like all that's disposed of in the heavenly places is, is ours in Christ Jesus. That he will not have his, his people begging bread. The Lord will take care of us. Recognizing that everything that we need is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, that's the hardest mindset for us to maintain and to cultivate day in and day out in our Christian life, isn't it? We wake up feeling like we're behind, inadequate, unable, everything's incomplete, and the fullness of what's ours already has been obtained in Christ Jesus. So Paul says, I want you to bask in the glory of this inheritance. It's yours. Here's what this inheritance is. You have right now a guarantee of it, the Holy Spirit, who's been deposited to you. He applies Christ to you, gives the strength and the merits of Christ. He's growing you from one degree of glory to the next. You have that down there, and one day you're going to acquire full possession of it. He wants us to live in light of that, of that hope. And notice that's really the language he even uses here, Right? He says, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. This is full of hope, isn't it? This text is full of, of hope. Now, let me ask you this, though. If this is the inheritance, it sounds really kind of too good almost to be true, doesn't it? To believe that right now we've obtained that inheritance, it's coming. Some of us are a bit cynical, maybe, maybe because, you know, we look at, we look at inheritances and we, and, we, and we see them squandered. We, we, you know, we, we look at in investments that maybe, maybe parents have made, maybe grandparents have made, and, we, and we've seen it diminish. We've seen it, we've seen it disappear for a variety of, of reasons. Some, some may be understandable, some, some not. We want to ask the question, if this is our inheritance, Christ and all things which are Christ is made available to us, how secure is it? How can we be sure? How can we be sure? And notice this is where Paul focuses his attention. He, he, he again piles up the words. In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now, in a word, how secure is the inheritance that is yours in Christ Jesus? In a word, we would say, absolutely secure. Impossible to be lost. But now, how does he language it to give us that kind of assurance here? He says, because this was predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things, According to the counsel of his will. Now, I think three words there in Paul's 
description deserve a little bit unpacking. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, you know we spent some time on the doctrine of election, which you see show up in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. I want to note something for you, you now. I think I'm wedded to it now that I've mentioned it, but... But I, I believe in the next Sunday school quarter, we're going to take some time, we're going to spend five weeks on what are known as the doctrines of, of grace. Sometimes what are referred to as Calvinism, colloquially, the, the tulip, for those of you who know that acrostic. Uh, we're going to spend some time thinking about these things the, theologically and try to clarify and, and ask rejoining questions and and disagree and, and, and wrestle with these particular doctrines together. And I say all of that so that I don't have to say everything right, right now. Right? There's only a few things that I can say. But I want to, I want to, I want to quickly define these terms and, and I hope be as helpful as possible with what I think that Paul's point is here in Ephesians 1. And that is start with this word predestined. This word predestined, what does it mean? Well, it means just what you think it means. It means to destinate... To destine something, to give destiny to something ahead of time. To do it, to do it ahead of time. In verse 3, we're told how much ahead of time this predestinating activity happens. He says, before the foundation of the world. This predestinating act of God, I use act because the word will is put in place here. This predestinating act of the Lord is done before anything in history takes place. Before the foundation of the world, he has set his love upon you as his people and he has secured for you in his decree, his plan, your inheritance. This inheritance has been predestined. Now notice, notice the language of purpose. Do you notice he uses the language, it was predestined according to the purpose. So the word according means in harmony with. He did this action of predestinating in harmony with his purpose. What was his purpose? To give you an inheritance. What is that inheritance? It's Christ and all that Christ has. He is destined to accomplish that. He is, that is his purpose. Notice Paul doesn't say purposes. It's not like there's multiple purposes. There's a singular purpose. And we're going to get to the singularity of that purpose in a minute. But on the way to that singularity of purpose, notice this, that he is securing for you an inheritance. He wants you to know that God who has crafted and framed all of history and everything happens according to his plan has from before the foundation of the world purposed to save you and to give to you an inheritance. And we'd say to ourselves, okay, that's encouraging. That gives me security that I might actually get this inheritance. Oh, it's bigger than that. He does it according to, in harmony with, not just his purpose, but notice the counsel of his will. Now think of this for a minute. You often have many purposes, don't you? Right? If you're, if you're like me, you have many purposes. As you start out your day, you're going to be faithful in this and this and this and this and this. And then at some point along the way, you realize, I can't do all the things that I'm called to do today. And some purposes get accomplished and some purposes don't get accomplished. And the reason for that is because I'm finite and fallen. Two things of which God does not have as trouble spots in his character. 
And notice his purpose is singular in its nature. When you, when you we talk about God's plan, we don't talk about it as plans. Like there, there are multiple things. Think of this. It's very difficult. This will be a stretch for your mind. Everything that happens in human history is one act of God. It is his plan. It is his purpose. It is his decree. It's one thing to him. And so you would say, wow, if I was going to make a big plan with one purpose and one act for the whole of history, I would need some counsel. I need people to help me. I imagine that when you make big decisions, you talk to wise people, or you try to. I try to. I would advise it. If you don't do that, no extra charge for that. Proverbs 11 actually says, with the abundance of counselors comes victory. Now, why does an abundance of counselors produce victory? Because when you, when you get other people's perspectives and takes on things, you're able to see things more clearly for yourself. You don't actually see everything, right? Do you notice this? When you actually talk to wise people, you're like, ah, yeah, I don't think that way. That's really helpful. That's really helpful to me. I gain, I gain light. Notice God takes counsel. Who does God take counsel from? Himself. When he came up with this purpose to secure for you salvation, the fullness of inheritance, he took counsel from his own will. Now, why is it that abundance of counselors is not something God needs? Because God's not like you and me. He has all knowledge. He has all wisdom. In this plan, he took counsel in of his own will. He let his own will speak, as it were, into the reality of his purposes and his predestinating plan. And he wants you to know, because he is all-knowing, all-wise, all-powerful, and has purposed according to his will, this will happen. That's what Paul is trying to say to you. You don't have to worry that this is not going to come about. It is absolutely secure. This will happen. Now, there's a tons of questions that I think that, that we have around that, some of which we'll chase in the Sunday school class uh, together around this predestinating power of God. But I want you just to, to ponder this for, for a moment. There's a popular way that people think of predestinating and, and, and how it is that the Lord works. And, and popularly, it's, it's, like, it's, like, it's like this, is that God looks... He looks through history and he sees, he sees the people who are going to choose to follow him, to trust in him. And when he sees them, he, he chooses them and they become in time and space and history his, his elect, his, his people. It's a very common way that people view what, what is actually election here. I just want to say there's all kinds of problems with that. One, one fundamental problem with that is that, by definition, is not predestination. That is, that is looking to something to see how it happens and then determining it. It is almost, if we can put it this way, post-determining. We're watching it to see if it'll happen and then we choose it. Predestination, by its disposition and by its definition, is actually before the thing happens. There's another issue. 
And, and this issue is that if God is looking down history to see how it plays out in people's lives and then making choices based upon their choices, it means that history is a counselor to God. That God, God is looking to history to tell him things about how it is that he needs to act with regards to salvation. That's a big issue. That's actually directly opposed to what the Apostle Paul says here. He is the, where does he take counsel? In his own will. Now, all the questions that are popping up in your mind is, okay, that's trouble. I can see how I, that would be difficult to think of it that way. All the trouble that's popping up in your mind is, how do I make sense of the fact that he seems to elect some and not all? Is that fair? How do I, how do I wrestle with the implications of what Paul's teaching here? Come to Sunday school. Come to Sunday school. We'll, we'll talk about that more there. And I think that's an easier place actually to, to do what we're doing right now, which is to get into sort of the weeds of some of the implications. But it's, it's critically important. What I want you to see here is the Apostle Paul is saying, you need to know that there is no compromising that could ever possibly happen with the inheritance that he's won for you. Because before the foundation of the world, he predetermined it. And his purposes are sure. They are yes and amen. And the only counsel he took was from his own will. He's not listening to other voices out there. As if somebody else's purposes are in control of what's happening. No, he is taking counsel of his own will. You will get your inheritance. Now that's where Paul wants it to land on you. He wants that sort of security, assurance, and encouragement to be how you receive the wonderful teaching that's given to us here in Ephesians chapter 1. Okay, how secure is it? It's absolutely secure. Now, you're asking, who do I have to share it with? Right? Those pesky siblings, right? Who you have to share it with. That's, that's part, of, part of what goes on in our minds. Now, there's a good thing about this inheritance. It's not as if it's divvied up so to speak, among people. It's that all of us, because it's in Christ, have equal access to this inheritance that Christ is, has won. It's all for all of his people. All of it is, is there. And, we, and he makes it plain here in the text. If you look at verses 11, 12, and, and 13, even down to 14, notice the shift in the pronouns. It says, "...in him we have obtained an inheritance." Verse 12, so that we who were first to hope in Christ. And then notice verse 13, in him you also, there's another group that Paul is talking about here. You also, when you heard the word of truth, believed in him. And then notice verse 14, the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. Now, it's very clear the Apostle Paul begins this whole section talking about Jews. We, we, who were the first to hope in Christ. Isn't that the story of the Old Testament? That, that Christ made available through the, the means of grace, through the sacrifices, through the promises, through the, through the covenant. What do the, all of those point to? They all point to, to Christ. When, when Christ came to the earth, who did he first go to? The Jews, and who were the first to hope in him? The Jews, the ones who were the natural inheritors of the covenant promises of God. We were the first to hope in him. But now, who is he writing to? Gentiles. In other words, most of us in this room, those who are non-Jew, 
Everybody else in the world, every kindred, tribe, tongue, and nation. But you also, it pleased the Lord, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in him and were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. It's come to you too. And now, notice this. There is we, there is you, but what actually is happening? It's our it's our, it's our inheritance. He's taking the two groups and he's making them one. He's drawing together all people, Jews and Gentiles, from every background, race and, and nation, from every socioeconomic structure. He, he is, he's taking every skin color. He's taking, he's taking every different, different cultural background and he's bringing it together under the banner of Christ. He's uniting all things in Christ. And he wants you to know that, that no matter where you come from this, this morning, no matter your history or your background or your pedigree, no matter if you're, if you're Kendall Kramer, who's born into a legacy of, of faith from generation to generation, or you today are a first-generation believer, there's no one in your, your family who's trusted in Christ, or you today have never trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. Today is the day of salvation. Anyone who will hear the word of truth and believe in his name will be saved. No matter who it is, he's bringing all people from everywhere into one people. That's, that's what's happening here in this, in this church even right now. Do you see what, how, how amazing would it be to actually take time to hear the various places that all of us have been in this room? All of the, all of the stories, all of the... Hither and yon, spiritually and, and physically and all else. What amazing stories would come in this place. And we'd say, what brings this group of people together in this church? Christ, in Him, we're one people. It's hugely important here. The Apostle Paul is going to make much of this later in Ephesians chapter 2 and unpack this greatly. And he wants you to know that around you are fellow inheritors you are together co-heirs with Christ of all that he has and all that he is. Now, when you think about this, think about little old you for a second. Think about, think about little old you for a second. Be honest. Aren't you a little bit like 1 Corinthians 1 when the Apostle Paul says, not many of you were wise. Not, not many of you were, were noble. Now, some of you in here are like, I don't know. You're the one I'm worried about. You're the one I'm worried about. No, you know, if you're honest with yourself, you think to yourself, how in the world am I getting all of this? How is this inheritance being made available to me? Why in the world is the Lord doing this? Well, we said back in Ephesians 1 verse 3, it's because he loves us. It's because, it's because as he said to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy, I love you not because you're the greatest. You're actually a, a really small, tiny speck of a nation. And, and did I mention you're really hard to get along with and, and all of that? And, but I, I chose you because I love you. I love you. That's what we said back in Ephesians 3. Now, why did we say that? Because it said, in love, he predestined us back there. Notice here, it's all about the counsel of his will. It's all about his sovereignty. And then it gives us the ultimate end. Notice, the Jews have come to know him we were the first to hope in Jesus Christ to the praise of his glory. And you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and believed in him, received the 
promised Holy Spirit, you are sealed with that promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of your inheritance to the praise of your glory. Do you see that twice? Once in verse 12, once in verse 14. He's already said it, by the way, back in verse 6. And there he says, to the praise of his glorious grace. This is really important. Let me, let me say it so I think you can register for, for a minute. The, the ultimate reason for why God saves you and gives you an inheritance, the ultimate reason is not actually love of you specifically, but what love does to you that you become a worshiper of Him. He is the ultimate aim of salvation. I have saved you. I have loved you. I've redeemed you. I've adopted you. I've given you an inheritance so that you would say, there's no one here that's worthy of this. There's no way I'm worthy of that kind of love, that kind of grace. To you be praise. That's what he wants. Do you understand God is the only being that it would be unjust and immoral not to praise? Not to praise. It is the highest form of ethics to praise Almighty God. He is worthy of it all. He does all of this so that you'd go, praise Him. Praise Him. Praise His glorious grace. I'm astonished at who He is. I can't believe who He is. You know why that's so important? Is Some of us have a tendency to take our salvation and we put it like in a, in a little curio cabinet Somewhere in our, in our hearts and we go, isn't it sweet that God loves me? Isn't it sweet? That's so wonderful that he loves me. Ah, me, 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 me. And we don't, and we don't make the pivot to, oh, he loves me. He, he, it's his love. Do you think the moment that, um, you know, your, your spouse said, you know, I do, did you go, oh, me, I'm pretty awesome? <laughs> if you did, you've got a terrible marriage today. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you, it's going to be terrible. If in the moment they said, I do, and, and you, your thought, I'm just going to tell you, I know you're in love if you, at that moment, Think in your heart and would say with your lips, I am so unworthy of this. I can't believe you. I can't believe your love. You. I'm, I'm thinking of you, not me. That's the point of salvation. Do you realize, do you know where the measure of your spiritual health can be, can be an essentially uh, taped out by the degree that you are self-forgetful and God-focused in worship. Do you know your life, when you, when you get out of the way and God begins to take over your consciousness, your decisions, your motivations, your drives, your words, do you know what begins to happen to the human person? We grow, we experience joy, we're made in the likeness of Jesus. You know why? That's what you're made for. That's what you're made for. 
That's, that is your design, to give him the praise that is due to his name. And what we want to see happen in the salvation that's been granted to us in this great inheritance is to increase to become people who are marked by worship. Here at Cornerstone, we actually say worship is the central, first, and eternal calling of the Christian. Central, first, and eternal calling of the Christian. Do you know, like, evangelism will come to an end one day when Jesus returns. Missions is going to come to an end one day. Mercy ministry is going to come to an end. Needs are going to be taken away of. You know, people, you know, like lawyers, we're not going to need them. We love you lawyers, but we're not going to need you, right? There's not going to be arbitration. There's going to be need. I'm not sure we're going to need preachers, so there you go, um, right? So, so, you know, you look at, there are going to be certain callings that are wrapped around the fallen world that are going to be no more in the new heavens and the new earth. We'll have to figure out ways to use our gifts differently, I, I presume, uh, in, those, in those contexts. But the, the reality of, of all of that is what will continue that you're doing right now? Worship. Worship is the first and central and eternal calling of the Christian. You will forever hymn him praise to his glorious grace. The more that we inhabit that spirit and life now, do you see the more we're truly practicing for who it is we're going to be until we acquire full possession of it by his grace. Oh, I pray that today, even just thinking as we've done some pretty deep thoughts, um, I pray something in your heart wants to spring. Something in your heart wants to spring. That you, that you don't walk away from here, oh, me, me, me. He loved me, but that you walk away from here going, him, him, him. Him, him, him. And there's, this, there's this great story that C.H. Spurgeon tells about. It's about preaching, but the point is, is, is the same here. You could tell a, a good preacher by the difference in the response that comes from his, his message. It, do you walk out of the message and you say to yourself, oh, he's a great preacher? Or do you walk out of the message and say, he's a great God. He's a great God. We saw him today. We saw the beauty of Jesus today. We saw the gospel today. There's nothing more than we needed than to see Jesus. He is our inheritance. All that we need is in him. And we have all that we ever need coming through him. For from him and to him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory. Forever and ever. Amen. Father in heaven, we pray for that kind of glory to spread about in our hearts that we would see it and thus give to you the praise that is due to your name. Oh, that you would, you would open up lips to declare your praise. For the mumblers in here, they would become the speakers. For the speakers in here to become the shouters. From the shouters in here to become the singers. That each of us would be growing in our praise, in our rejoicing to you. That, we would, that we, would, we would give ourselves over to be swept up into the fullness of the praise of your glorious grace. Lord, we won't praise that which you don't reveal to us beautifully by the Spirit right now in our hearts. We, we won't be able to do it. But Lord, if you were to come and to compel us with this beauty even now and throughout this week, we, would, we wouldn't be able to cease praising you.
For this is the end all and be all of our existence to give to you the praise that is due to your name. We stand today astonished about who you are. And we give to you the praise that you are worthy of. Lord, would you come, would you lift our hearts in just that way as we commune with you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.